0: The Old Testament Bible reading is from Psalm 41, page 484 in the Church Bibles. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes, The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, Have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Rise, raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And the New Testament reading is um, Luke chapter 7, page 887. Verse 36 we're starting at. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping... She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. But whoever has been forgiven, little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Susa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, My name's Bernard, and I'm the pastor here. And um, uh, it's just been really delightful, actually, in recent weeks to see new folks come along and uh, checking out our church. And if that's you and I haven't met you yet, then I'd love to do that. And I hope that you can make it to the uh, membership lunch, which Jess mentioned just before. Um, As a word of context... um, Uh, in the last, well, now second year, I've been here, this is my second year at Summerlees, we've been spending the start of our um, church year in terms of, uh, you know, major preaching series, getting into one of the Gospels at the start of each year. I think it's a nice thing to do. And it's actually a, a, uh, like, traditional liturgical church thing to do, um, but I think it's a good tradition, to get into the Gospel stories at the start of the year between um the start of the year and Easter, kind of uh, walk with Jesus uh, through the beginning portion of the year. I think it's just nice and um, spiritually helpful for us, which is why I think we should do it. Um, and we happen to be up to Luke chapter 7. This is the bit that we're up to. I'm hoping that we'll be able to make it um, to sort of halfway through chapter 9. Um, just shortly after Easter, that's what I'm aiming for. So if you're new here, uh, a little bit of context as to kind of where this week fits into the broader context, um, that's where we are. Now, I'm going to begin with a fairly blunt um, claim, and perhaps it's not the the statement that you kind of um, expect or think that we necessarily need to hear on this particular morning, but bear with me. Um, I'm going to begin with this blunt assertion. When we lose sight of our sin... Uh, I put it to you that we simultaneously lose sight of something else that is very precious indeed when we lose sight of our sin. uh, And by the way, I know that sin is a complicated word for some of us. Let me just pause there and comment on that. By sin, I don't just mean uh, petty little rule-breaking that... uh, you know, based on nitpicking kind of laws that virtually nobody except a few stuffy old clerics even care about, you know, are barely even conscious of. Um, and, and, and sin, on the other end of the spectrum, I don't just mean those few especially egregious evils that almost no one is guilty of, um, but which we are all quite happy to refer to as sin, um, murder, uh, theft on a grand scale, uh, busting up marriages through adultery, or scamming innocent people out of their life savings. Which, oh my goodness, how common is that? Now, anyway, that's a whole other story. No, by sin, I mean sin like the Bible talks about sin. Um, that whole posture of living life apart from God, ignoring God, um, to some degree, against God, even or Uh, um, uh, Yeah, ignoring him. Life on my terms, thanks very much, God. That's what I mean by sin. And yes, together with all kinds of particular acts that then flow from that, some of them very minor-looking indeed, others of them which do weigh on our consciences for years and never really seem to let us go, Uh, but sin as that defiant posture of life, that arrogance in our hearts, as if to say, God we would be better off without you, right? That's what I mean by sin. So when we lose sight of our sin, here's my assertion. I put it to you that we unavoidably lose sight of something both precious and profound. What do we lose sight of? When we lose sight of our sin, we lose sight of Jesus. Uh, That's our big idea for today. There we go. We lose sight of Jesus. So how do we guard against that? Um, What are we to do? That's going to be our journey together for today. Um, But here's what I'm suggesting. Luke, as in Luke, the author of Luke's Gospel, invites us into this dinner with Jesus to powerfully illustrate this profound truth that if and as I lose sight of my sin, uh, our own sin, we lose sight of God's love for sinners, which is a profound loss in itself because, yes, it robs me of Christ as a sinner, I lose sight of Jesus for me, for my own salvation. But is this even perhaps the more tragic loss? Don't I also start to lose sight of Christ for you or for her or for them? Christ's love for sinners beyond me and around me, other than me. How on earth do we even measure this, perhaps even worse than me on a social scale? You you think of the story that we're encountering here. And as that blindness then sets in and takes hold and prejudice and pride start to sort of form cataracts over our eyes, uh, how will my eyes begin to see again the love that Jesus expects me to show to sinners like me? Uh, That they might find his love become gripped and delighted by it and forgiven and transformed as well. So it's nothing less than this. Have we lost sight of our sin? brothers and sisters. That's what I want us to dwell upon today and think about today. Then, have we become blind, even lost ourselves, loveless people, and now lacking any real vision for our dear, flailing, and yes, sinful world and friends. So there's my dramatic assertion. How about we pray and dive into Luke chapter 7 and into chapter 8. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven... Uh, We come to your word this morning uh, expectant and eager to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father, our Comforter and our Guide through the Holy Spirit, our Rescuer and Redeemer in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our Devoted and Determined Father in Heaven. God, we come to you, our three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, to learn your ways. We want to know your ways more deeply, not just in the sense of how we ought to live, the ways that we ought to walk in, but we long to know your ways more deeply in the sense of how you have been toward us, the God that you've demonstrated yourself to be. We want to marvel afresh at the extraordinary, at the surprising, at the delighting history of our God's love for humankind and even for sinners. So God, would you surprise us and delight us again today, please, even as you challenge and astound us again with the call of Christ over our lives. God, may your word prove effective in shaping our souls, even right now, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So I have four points for today, not three. So if you're taking notes and you're using one of the pre-prepared sheets, you're going to have to, I don't know, what are you going to do? Turn it over, write point four on the back or divide one of the boxes in half. I don't mind um, how you go about that. My four points will hopefully lead us through something of an eye test. So we're talking about when we lose sight of our sin. I'm just going to play on that metaphor a little bit. Uh, Our four points will lead us through a sort of an eye test. Um, Perhaps you've gone to the doctor uh, for an eye test of late um, and you've had to read the letters on the chart on the wall um, or you're not so good with letters yet and so you've, there were pictures there. And is it a heart or is it a house? Is it a square or is it a circle? Um, or we, we need to sit and look in the goggles, sit on mum or dad's lap and look through the goggles on the machine. Maybe we've been and had something of an eye test for our eyes Um, Today, we're going to be having, through this story of Jesus, uh, it's not a machine or a chart on the wall. It is a story in our Bibles that helps us to see what's going on in our hearts, to see our sin in us and see our wonderful saviour in Jesus. So our first point, our first chart in the eye test is, do you see this woman? So Luke tells the story and it seems to me he's trying to uh, contrast, if you like, two different people's vision two different maybe sets of glasses two prescriptions if you like um, that is Simon and Jesus because yes they may be looking at the very same scene even the very same person but gosh they see her so very differently let's read together and perhaps um, have this in mind how do you think Luke the, the writer here wants us to see uh, this woman how do you think he wants us to see this scene let's read from verse 36 together if we could Uh, Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Um, we will keep reading in just a moment, but how would we describe the mood or the vibe of that scene even so far? Are you with me? It feels, doesn't it, suddenly uncomfortable, the scene that we're looking in on. Vulnerable, exposed, I'm not sure of quite the right word. All she can see is Jesus, right? Such that it feels almost too private to look upon, this act of devotion and dedication that we're watching unfold in detail as Luke unpacks again and again, act after act, tear after tear, hair falling down. Now, culturally, it's less weird for them Um, I gather it wasn't unusual for poor people to be at the fringes of a big public meal that you might have been hosting, um, if that's how the host set things up, which strikes us as very, very odd, doesn't it? Because our homes are very much our private space. They're just for me and the guests that I invited. Well, not so much for them, actually. But clearly, even in that cultural setting, uh, isn't she making a scene? not because she's trying to though as if she it's just as if she can't help herself the whole world around her is kind of coldly and academically trying to figure out Jesus as we march through Luke's gospel here who is this man who what authority does he say this with and so forth but this sinner exudes this sincerity, this immediate sort of resonation with who Jesus is. She displays this feeling in this unencumbered and beautiful way. We wonder, has she met Jesus before? Has she experienced some healing or maybe one of her family members? Is that what's going on? Has she felt touched by his teaching? She's marched in here with an alabaster jar of perfume. Obviously there's something going on there. Now, what does Simon see on the eye chart? Let's keep reading verse 39. When the Pharisee, that's Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. So friends, just pause there. What is it that Simon sees? In just a moment, Jesus is going to loop back around to the heart of what I think the matter is for Simon. Down at verse 44, down at verse 44, uh, he turned toward the woman. Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Anyone can, in other words, anyone can see what kind of woman she is, Simon. I want to know if you can still see a woman, a person, a human being. In front of you. And the irony, of course, is that not only did Jesus know who was touching him very well and what kind of woman she was, to use Simon's kind of language, not only did he know why she was doing it and even the motivations of her forgiven heart, he also knew Simon's heart and knew Simon's spiritual condition. I guess the point is who are the people in my life? That I have already written off. You know, do you see this woman? Do you see this man? Uh, who are the people in my life whom I've already written off? They're not really a person to me. What are they? Oh, they're a nuisance. <laughs> or they're a bit of a twit. Or they're just annoying. Or they're my teacher. P- poor teachers, subhuman creatures. Or they're my boss. Or they're a person that everyone tries to work around. There's a person who can do no right in my eyes. Maybe someone we find so over the top we just cannot take them. Or someone whose reputation, well, that speaks for itself. Nobody likes them either. Friends, do we risk missing this? That underneath all that, there is a person... Verse 44, do you see this woman, Simon, this man, this classmate, this that apprentice in the light that Jesus sees them? Because if we can't see them, then perhaps there's something else that you can no longer see clearly. So secondly, do you see yourself, second eye chart. Uh, Now, I know we read this uh, part of the text before, um, so it's still relatively fresh in our minds. The the two debtors, the story of the two debtors that are there, the 50 and the 500 denarii. um, We'll read some of it again in a moment. So so two people who owe a great stack of money. Could we play a little game of make-believe for a moment? I'd like us to imagine a Sunday afternoon together if we could. Um, So it's Sunday afternoon and you're hosting a barbecue at your place which is very kind of you, and it's kind of a big do, okay? So there are lots of people there, um, and you've invited me and my family along, and everyone's having a ball. Uh, it's one of those strange Tasmanian occurrences. Perfect weather, barbecue's perfect, company's brilliant, um, except me. Yeah, I mean, you invited me, so, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, and the time comes, and I make to leave, okay? It's time for me to dash off, and as usual, I've got talking, you know, I've lost track of time, and I'm in a bit of a rush, and, oh, my car won't start, not to worry, you say. That's fine, brother. Take our second car. That's, that's okay. Uh, I know you've got places to be. You can come back later and sort it out. Uh, in fact, I'll try and fix it while you're away. You, you offer your second car because you know that I'm in a rush to get to it. So take my car, you say. Now, you, you know where I go. I'm going. I go on my merry way and I total your car. Let's say a wallaby is leapt out in front of it or something. But I swerved and avoided the wallaby. The wallaby's fine, everyone else is fine, perhaps a tree is not okay, but you know what I mean. Perhaps we can emotionally adjust to that um, in this context. Uh, and the car is really not okay. Like it's absolutely written off the whole thing. No one's injured, the cars are write off. It's serious enough that the police attend. They gave me a breatho. And because there's still some wine in my system from lunchtime, insurance won't touch it, not mine and not yours. And it just so happens, look, I'm, I'm really strapped at the moment because I'm halfway through my reno's or whatever it is that I've got going on personally at the time or present financial climate. Let me make this clear. You, Christian, you are under no obligation to forgive my debt. Now, you're under obligation to forgive the, um, uh, as, as a brother or sister in the Lord, um, to f- forgive me in terms of the gospel. But you are not obliged to forgive the debt, the monetary debt. I owe you however many thousands of dollars of money, okay? But if you do forgive my debt, just say, you say, brother, I'll take it on board. It will shape our friendship for a long time to come, won't it? It will change things between us. Like, I ought to carry myself somewhat differently around you. If I was smug towards you in the past, or arrogant, or just prickly as a person around you, it'd be pretty repulsive if I carried on that way now, wouldn't it? Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, friends, get this. 50 denarii, that is your little second car that I just rode off into a tree. Okay, the 50 denarii. So uh, 500 denarii, that's maybe like I somehow drove it through the side of your house and insurance still wouldn't touch it. If 50 denarii is something like 10,000 bucks in today's terms, 500 is half a small mortgage. That is going to cripple me for years. It will affect my kids, it will strain my marriage and just my happiness, I can only imagine not to overstate it too much. And you have absorbed that. Verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. It's not like Jesus expected Simon, right, to let down his hair and wash his feet with tears. Just water would have been good—a common courtesy in those days. Simon, Jesus didn't demand kisses or anything over, you know, sort of over the top. Oh, I love you and sort of gushing kind of pleasantries. No, just a pleasant greeting would have been nice. Jesus wasn't waiting to for Simon to break open his best perfume. Just oil, Simon like you've probably given to every other guest at the table. Isn't that right? Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't expect Simon's devotion or your devotion to look like hers. But what does it say about me and how we see ourselves before Jesus? If I can stand in the presence of Jesus, unmoved and cool and disinterested, frankly unfeeling and even cold. Now, folks, I don't know about everyone's life here. Your life, your sins, may be more like a written-off hatchback than a crippling debt that haunts your very happiness. But do you have any sense of your forgiveness before God, the weight of it, his mercy to you, that he absorbed the debt? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Verse 47. Friends, before the Lord, what does your great love show? Do you see yourself? Which relates to our third point. Do we see Jesus? Let's keep reading from verse 48, if we could please. Then Jesus said to her, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, now, on the one hand, um, I just wish we knew more about the woman, right? Because there's obviously a backstory here. Either, I suspect she's had some prior encounter with Jesus uh, come to see his true identity as her Lord and Saviour, the, the source, the means of her personal forgiveness has become precious to her and moved her so, and, and the, the hope that she now means to cling to for the rest of her life is found in him. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or I suppose there's a chance that she's brought the alabaster jar of perfume who knows why, uh, but it's all happened right there and then. Who knows what drew her to Jesus in the first place, but in the context of the meal, maybe her eyes were opened and all of that, just from what Jesus has been saying and how he's treated her in the context of that meal, it's a, we don't really know, but long time or short, oh, that you and I could see Jesus as she has. But on the other hand, as we look at those verses... And I don't expect you to remember this, but verse 49 should sound familiar to us as readers of Luke's gospel. Verse 49. So if you could please look down at verse 49 here of chapter 7. And what I'll do is I'll flip back a couple of pages and read to you verse 21 of chapter 5. And could we just compare who is there and what they say? So for context, chapter 5... Um, You'll remember the miracle there, I bet, the healing miracle of the disabled man. Do you remember? Lowered down through the roof by his friends uh, on the mat. And Jesus eventually heals him. But do you remember what he does first? First, he pronounced uh, verse 20 of chapter 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then we come to chapter 7, verse 49. They began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Do you see the implication that I think Luke wants us to draw? You guys still haven't figured it out. It's been chapters You are so blind to Jesus that you are still stuck with your heads and your hearts. Chapters ago, meanwhile, this sinner who's so far beneath you, this woman, what kind of woman she is, who you clearly know all about, but for whatever reason, you don't even use her name, do you, Simon, when she's right there. She sees Jesus with crystal clarity and it has changed her life. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Perhaps some of us need to hear this. If you would love to find peace with God in your heart and relief, frankly, from your skeletons, from your regrets, from your past, um, that stuff that weighs on you quietly, you will not find such peace and relief apart from Jesus until you can see Jesus. The Pharisees are actually asking the right question. But for chapter upon chapter now, it's as if they cannot bring themselves to actually answer it when the answer's right in front of them. Why can't they see him? Who is this who even forgives sin? Why can't they answer it for themselves? I think we get hints, friends. Perhaps they'd rather cling to their pride. Maybe they'd rather save face than become a Christian. Maybe... Uh, they 'd rather not make a scene or lose friends it 's not that hard to imagine isn 't it? it is it we 'd rather spend uh, our our lives sometimes in the security of our friendship group and not step out in terms of faith we 'd sooner spend our prayer time safely asking God for stuff. Or speaking in cliches about his kingdom and saving others and all of this sort of stuff. That's much safer. It's much simpler than sitting face to face with our God and saying we're sorry and owning our sin and delighting in Jesus and seeing Jesus as our saviour, as my saviour here and now. May I just point this out? Uh, Can you picture Jesus there and the, the woman and the whole banquet load of people lounging around Jesus? Then let's ponder this. Do you notice Jesus would rather look a fool with that woman making a scene and bawling her eyes out and the hair and the perfume and his feet. Jesus would rather look a fool And yet be seen as the love of God to save sinners. He would rather that than to save his face and shoo her away. Something precious in that, isn't there? Something courageous about that. When we see Jesus, we can know and trust that he already sees us. And he loves us. And he won't shoo us away. He'll stand with us and stand for us. And so lastly, fourthly, do we now see with love? And let's conclude with this. Um, I said at the beginning that our blindness to our sin, it blinds us to Jesus. It blinds us to God's love for us in Christ, um, or words to that effect. But how, how has, this, uh, sorry, has this also now become clear to us? When we face not only our sin, but ourselves and our Saviour, Don't we start to see just what our sad and sorry and sinful world could become through the love of God? What do I mean by that? I just mean, do you notice, Simon seems so obsessed with what this woman is and has been and has done. But look at the words of Jesus, because Jesus knows all that. But he seems far more concerned... To see not just who she is, but more where she's going, what she will experience and become. Have a look again. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have a listen to this little quote. I found it helpful. It is not what the sinner is that Jesus sees, but what the sinner could be through God's love. It is Jesus' awareness. Of how God can transform people that makes him, rather than dwell on their past, look forward to what God can make of them. And I wonder, friends, are those the glasses, the lenses through which we view the people around us? Be they sinners or saints in worldly terms. We look forward to what God can make of them. Or again, same quote. Why does Jesus associate with sinners? Because in forgiving sinners for a large debt of sin, God is able to transform them into people who display great love. Friends, do we believe that God means to transform us? He means to transform me. He means to transform you. He's taking you somewhere not leaving you as the sinner that you presently are. He means to transform the people in your GC and even some of the people in my life that, or your life that God hasn't yet even drawn into his kingdom, but he will one day, he has a plan, he has a plan for them. That God intends to transform us into people who display his great love. It's quite a vision to invest our lives in that, to put ourselves behind that, to start seeing the world around us with that love. And it may look very different for each of us. I think that's Luke's intention with holding up these exemplary women for us at the very conclusion of this section at the start of um, chapter 8. It may not all be sort of tears and drying tears with hair and dinner parties and so forth, it may take many forms, and you 're going to have to figure out what that looks like in your life, but it will mean changed lives and changed outlooks and changed ways of seeing ourselves and seeing those around us. Have a look at what it looked like in the lives of these women, chapter eight verse one. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out Joanna the wife of Cuza the manager of Herod's household Susanna and many others these women were helping to support them out of their own means let's pray Our Father God in heaven would you forgive us please for our complacency and our indifference for our minimising of the seriousness of sin, especially our own, as we lead lives that at times bear so little reference to you and precious little true gospel love for the people that you've placed right around us in life. Father, it's such a desperate shame, and not only for ourselves, but for the impact that we have for Jesus. Um, We long, O God, for eyes to see the world as you see it, even eyes to see the sin that lies within ourselves as we persist in our quiet little rebellion in various corners of our lives in a thousand tiny ways. But Father, may we see the world with your love. May your love give us a softness, an affection, a kindness toward others, but also a vision and an aspiration for what the world will one day be, a place of forgiven sinners who gladly glorify our saving Lord, the Lord who loves us. God, may we have this in mind as we plan our ministries, as we serve on Sundays on this roster or that, as we share life together in gospel community, that transforming power of your love in the lives of your children. And finally, God, we pray for, and perhaps some of us pray as, uh, any here this morning who have for too long attempted to hide our sin away from you. Just as Adam and Eve tried to do, our first parents there in the garden, may we, even now, like this extraordinary woman, come to you in honest and desperate self-awareness and need and find a fresh peace and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. Grant, please, that his love wouldn't just save us, but would show us the world as you see it. And we ask it in his name, please. Amen.